Awesome. Thank you, Scott. That was a great session this morning. It all starts in the heart. Isn't that true? And I just, I can't get that picture out of my mind of that dance party. And, and especially Brett. I can't believe Brett didn't protest and, and he danced with everybody. And he's awesome. Come on, how many of you love the Jones brothers, Scott and Brett? And I think it's pretty cool. Very unique co-leadership, co-pastor. I think it's pretty awesome, and it's a great model. It's a great model. Um, so thank you, Scott, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you all for being here, Eddie and Sherry. Thank you for hosting this. And uh, They've done a great job with this facility, don't you think? Beautiful facility here in Jackson. and Had the opportunity to speak last year and be a part of a service here. And um, So anyway, I'm just going to talk just for a little bit about church. Um, I love I love pastors. I love the local church. We started our church 16 years ago, and um, we learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, took us five years to break over 200 people on a weekend. So I learned a lot in those five years. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about faith and the journey. And at the end of those five years, it was pretty amazing, but I was in a, we were in a prayer service and uh, we used to have early morning prayer every day, Monday through Friday. Um, so I was in one of those services, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm about to bring a breakthrough, and the church is going to begin to grow, and you're going to begin to see things that you've dreamed of seeing. Uh, but I never want you to forget these last five years, and I want you to take what you've learned and help other people, uh, help other pastors and champion other pastors and help other pastors break barriers and so uh, Scott said that you know uh, about some people feeling called I very much feel called to do that not because I feel like I have all the answers but because there's a place in my heart for for pastors and leaders who feel like they're not measuring up and they feel like they're not you know where they need to be I think you have to be a little crazy to do what we do and lead a church. You have to be really crazy to start a church from scratch, really. Uh, I guess you got to be really crazy to take over an existing church, too. I guess you could make a case for both. But um, So you have to be a little, like my friend Pastor Mundo says, throwed off. You have to be a little throwed off to be a leader. And so, um, so I admire all of you for what you do and for your leadership, for your hard work, for your faith, for your diligence. Um, and so... I'm just going to talk a little bit about, and you probably, if you would have been to make room or would have been in any kind of session that I've done, you would have probably heard me talk about some of these things. Uh, I just kind of share basically the same things over and over again about church, about growth, vision, culture, leadership. And so um, if you have your Bibles, look over at Matthew 9, and I'm just going to talk really probably, I guess, the best way to describe this messages, I'm going to just talk about environment, the environment of our church, and what the atmosphere and the environment feels like, what is the feel of, 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 of church, and um, I think Matthew 9, 35 through 38 is a foundational passage in, uh, in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, and here's what it says in verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, 
and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So Jesus really was doing three things. And these are the same three things that Jesus did over and over and over and over. And this is what Jesus did. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. Some transit translations use the word preaching. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. And he was healing. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. And he was healing. Now, notice this. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of opportunity. That's what Jesus was saying. Plenty of opportunity to build something big and something great. And I would just say for your cities and places that you're in and you know, there's plenty of opportunity to build the biggest church that you can imagine. Plenty of opportunity. Because the harvest is plentiful. What's few is not, you know, it's not the opportunities. The, the thing that's, that we have to, to believe for is people that will help us take the harvest in. It's the workers that are few. Therefore, and then he gives us the answer, beseech the Lord of the harvest or pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into, into his harvest. So Jesus did three things. And I would just kind of, I just kind of want to submit to you as pastors and leaders, really, if you could just work on these three things, if we could just think about our role in these three areas and develop ourselves in these three areas, just kind of break it down simple. He taught. He was a teacher. Teaching. Teaching. So he, 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 was, he was a great communicator, and the word that is used most often when it comes to how Jesus taught is the word amazed, amazed. Listen to a couple of verses, Luke 4, 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Here's another one. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. So he was a teacher. He taught and, you know, I, I just think this is something that we always need to work on and always need to be perfecting is teaching the Word of God in a way where it answers the questions that people are asking and the things that people are facing in their life. The Bible is very relevant. Relevant is an important word. It means something that we can use to apply to our life. The, the Bible is relevant. We have to make it relevant and teach teach from the Word of God to help people live their, live their life. You know, I like to study, and I like to get in and compare verses, and, um, you know, and, and I love to teach kind of like principles in the Word of God. And I just always have to make sure I'm asking myself, am I teaching things that really will help people live their life? that will really help their Monday and their Tuesday and their Wednesday. And we get our biggest crowds in our church when we do marriage, series on marriage or family. You know, things that are very, very just day-to-day -day issues in, in people's lives. And here's what's amazing. We have amazing salvation decisions during those series. Why? Because people are coming 
who aren't really in church and they don't go to church. Their friends are inviting them. My wife and I are doing a, a series together. We're team teaching on marriage throughout this, this uh, last week and uh, last two weeks and next two weeks. And so, and it's kind of funny because I was sharing with the guys at the end of the message this weekend, we did a whole series, we did a whole session, a whole message this last weekend on conflict. And so, you know, you're talking about conflict and tips for marriage, and then you close that out and give a salvation call. You know, it's kind of hard to do. You know, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't prepare as much as, as I should have for that moment. So the first time on Saturday night, I'm like, wow, now i got to get, now we're, we're talking about fighting fair and, you know, t- techniques and tips of, you know, and we're telling stories. And, and then you go into it. But here's the amazing thing. This last weekend in church, we had two, here's what's amazing, 237, I think, salvation decisions in our services this past weekend. And we're teaching on conflict in marriage. Here, here's the thing, teaching in a relevant way will open people's hearts to the gospel, to the message of the gospel, so teaching. And then he was proclaiming, proclaiming. The word proclaim is a combination of two words, pro, which means forward or future, and claim, which means you're making a statement. So it literally means speaking the truth about your future. So the gospel means good news. Jesus didn't come talking about what people could not do, but he came talking about what people could do. He came talking about who people were, not who they were not. In other words, it's good news, and at the heart of everything we do, it's good news. So our proclamation, our preaching, this is preaching. Teaching is getting down into the practicals of how people live and helping people use the word of God to improve their life. Proclaiming or preaching is letting people know there's an answer and there's hope and there's good news for your life. Man, that's attractive. I mean, people get excited about that. They want good news. There's a lot of bad news in the world. They want good news. They want to be lifted up. So teaching, proclaiming, and then here's the third one. The third one is healing. Okay? So these are the three things that Jesus did. Now, teaching, we teach the word of God. Proclaiming, we preach the word of God. And so notice this passage, it says that Jesus healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Listen, he had an answer for every kind. And so, and I believe in the power of healing. And I know this is a group that believes in the power of healing. I believe if someone is sick, we can pray for them and believe God, and God can heal them. Does anybody still believe that? Everybody still believe that? We believe that, right? And so, and we pray for people. We do that. But, but I, I want to I kind of talk about it from another angle. As pastors and leaders, I want to talk about it from this perspective of building an environment in your church where people can be healed. Not not that they're going to come down to an altar call and someone's going to pray for them and they're going to be healed. I do believe that. But an environment in your church where when people come in, they can, they can be healed of things that are going on in their life and in their heart. Marriages can be healed and families can be restored and people's thinking and just their approach to God 
that there can be an environment, an atmosphere, okay? So, so, so we say this, this is what we say about our environment, our, our environment. We want it to be warm and welcoming enough so everyone feels accepted. We want it to feel safe enough so people can bring their friends and their problems. Scott talked about that a little bit. Having an open environment, a, tr a transparent environment, so people can bring their issues and they're not going to feel like they're going to get judged. And they, 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 they want to be it's safe enough where they, they can bring their friends and their friends aren't going to think, this is crazy, this is a crazy place, right? Anybody ever been to those kind of churches and those kind of environments where, you know, you, you, know, you kept coming because you knew the heart of the pastor and you loved him, and, but you would never even bring your friends, never dream of bringing your friends and family because they would never be able to connect to what is going on in the service. Anybody? So safe, that's safe, a safe environment where friends and family, outsiders, unbelievers, unbelievers can come and experience the presence of God. So warm and welcoming, safe, challenging enough so we're not content to live beneath God's best. This is our environment now. Passionate enough so the presence of God can be felt and experienced and powerful enough so we can encounter God and change. Those are just some of the thoughts that we use to describe what we want our weekend services, our church environment, the atmosphere of our church to feel like. So, so I just want to give you some practical thoughts, seven, eight of them, or nine, ten maybe, uh, just some practical thoughts, how we build an environment of transformation. How do we practically build an environment where a stranger could come into church, find Christ, and find salvation, and then go the next weekend, and then the weekend after that, and then go to a membership, you know, connect class or something, and then go to a small group, and before you know it, they're serving in your church, and they're inviting other people. And so, just some thoughts, okay, these are just some of my thoughts, um, you know, just take what you, you know, chew on it a little bit and see. Um, you got you to, gotta, number one, you got you, you to make your weekend services amazing. You, you have to, you, you, you have to be like an artist, like a craftsman that is committed to making that one hour in ten minutes one hour and 15 minutes. That's it. One hour and 15 minutes to make that service. Some of you are like, one hour and 20. Can I get one hour and 30? No, no. One hour and 15 minutes to make that experience every weekend the best that it can be. For us, and I think it's for Great churches, healthy, growing churches. It is the top of the funnel. If you draw a funnel, the top of the funnel is your weekend services. Chances are people, it will be the first time people encounter you. If you have a television program, they may watch your, the program on TV. They may go to a big event. They may, maybe, maybe go to a small group. That, that's rare. Chances are nine, 
nine out of ten people that encounter your church will, will, will experience it through your weekend service. And so it, it's just got to be amazing. It's got to be amazing. So here's some thoughts about making your weekend services amazing. I'm not sure if this is why you came today or if you wanted to hear things like this, but this is what I brought. So <laughs> love it or leave it, right? Um, so here's some things I've learned about making church amazing on the weekend. Shorter is better. Shorter is better. More than 90 minutes is too long. Unless you're T.D. Jakes. Unless you are so unbelievable in your communication style. Unless you have the best worship team in the world. Unless you're Hillsong in worship, all right? Unless, unless you, and you're, nobody here is, okay? T.D. is not here, okay? And Hillsong, none of us are. So more than 90 minutes is too long. It's too long. It's too long. 45 minutes of worship. That's long. That's long for people. That's long for me. And I love worship. That's long. That's going to be long for your, for, for your next door neighbors that have not been to church in a long time. It's going to be long for them. Singing that same song over and over and over. And, and they're like, they look at their wife like, man, they sing that again. Shorter is better. Preach shorter. Preach shorter. Let people leave wanting more instead of leave. Well, I won't say what, you know, but, you know, the opposite of wanting more is I don't want any more, right? <laughs> I don't want any more. I won't come, you know. And so leave people a little hungry. Here's an, here's an assignment for you, pastors. Try 20... Try a 20-minute message. It might be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life to preach for 20 minutes. Easier to preach for 50. Anybody can preach for 50 minutes. Who can preach a great message, keep people kind of in that tension on the edge of their seat, and then you, you, you're done in 20, 21 minutes, you're praying. Wow. Wow. You know, I always ask pastors this. Here's, here's my question. Here's, here's a, here's a defended, here's a, this is a defining question. If you knew, if you knew that if you preached shorter, your church would immediately start, start growing, would you preach shorter? This is an important question you need to ask yourself. Would you preach shorter if you knew that immediately once you started preaching shorter, your church would start growing? Would you preach shorter? And if you say no, that means you are more interested in hearing the sound of your own voice and having people sort of like inspired and in, in, in awe of your teaching ability than you are of reaching the lost and the disconnected from church. You say, well, I don't want to compromise. You will not compromise the word by teaching shorter. You won't. And I'll promise you this. I'll make a promise. Some of you that are preaching real long messages, I promise 
if you put a couple things in place, if you start preaching shorter, you will, the church will start growing. They w- it, okay. Preach shorter. Preach, uh, preach about things that people are dealing with. Preach about things. I'm talking about just some random thoughts about making weekends better. Preach about things people are dealing with. You know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm amazed. I see, I see some of these sermon, like sermon series names. And I'm like, man, some, have you ever, let me ask you this way. Have you ever been watching TV and a commercial came on and you're like thinking, man, they paid a lot of money. And that commercial didn't even make sense. You know, didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody thought that was funny in like a boardroom somewhere. And it did not, but it what? So when you do your like sermon series names and all that kind of stuff, Try, you know, just try to make it where you didn't have to have a real long tagline explanation to explain what this, you know what I'm saying by that? Like, like just make it real simple, man, where people are like, wow, they're talking about marriage. They're talking about parenting. They're talking about finances. You know, just real simple so that people can real quick grab onto it. They don't have to look twice to try to read between the lines. Of, sometimes we can get so clever we didn't. We're not, we don't connect. Everybody tracking with me? Um, so music, how about your music? Just excellent and fresh. Tighten up on those transitions and those announcements. Jeez. And, and I want to just say this. This issue right here, weekend services, the, the number one issue for churches under 500. Number one issue, weekend services. It's number one. It is the number one reason why churches under 500 are not growing. It gets more complicated once you get over 500 because then it has to do with structure, facilities, different things like that. Under 500, number one issue is weekend services. If your church hasn't grown in the last several years, it's your weekends. And I don't know most of you, so it's easy for me to say I'm not been to churches and I'm not trying to judge and I'm not saying we're all you know, we're all that, okay? There are definitely different models and different, I'm just saying, this is the number one, if you want your church to grow, the number one issue for churches under 500, what the weekends feel like, what the weekends feel like. So, let's see if I have anything else written down here. Did I say this is the number one issue in churches under 500? Okay. Here's the next one. You ready? Uh, build everything around teams. Move away from the model of the man of God, the woman of God, the key person. You know, ch- things are really changing now. It, it's different. It's not just, the, you know, it's hard in a church that's growing, that's larger, that's moving and shaking. It's harder. You can't say he's the worship leader. Now there's a bunch of worship leaders. You, you know, it's, it's hard to even say, well, who's the youth pastor? Well, she is and he is. And, she, and You know, it's changed. It's changed. It's not just one per- Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't make it all about one guy or one girl. You know, build a team. Build a youth team. Build a worship team. Teams. It's mega. And there's so much, I mean, each one of these, you know, we could spend, we could spend so much time on this. And I think it's really interesting because when Jesus, 
begins to, t to talk about the harvest, it's interesting. Jesus sees suffering humanity and the problems and the challenges of people as, as an opportunity, and he says, you need to pray for our, you need to pray for teams. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? The answer, the answer to the harvest is, is we need some teams. We need some people. We need a host team. We need a park team. We need a youth team. We need a baptism team. We need teams. We need teams of people who that will be their focus and that will be their mission. We can turn it over to them and they'll think about that and they can hold that part of the harvest. Teams. Build, build, it, build it all around teams. Yeah, you're going to have key people that you look to. And I'm not saying that, but. You know, stretch out a little bit. Get more people involved. Get more people around the table. Build everything around teams. Are you, are, are, is that good? Can we go to the next one? Here's another one. Remove the hurdles to serving in church. Man, I, I, and I, I'll tell on myself here how many. I mean, when we first started, we had, I think you had to go through 12 weeks of classes just to, like, work in the parking lot. Doesn't that sound crazy? I mean, these days, to get someone to go to church 12 weekends in a row, that's a miracle. And look, hey, 12 weeks wasn't, look, that's not the worst part. You had to go 12 weeks in a row, and if you missed a week, you had to start back over from the beginning. Man, we're raising up quality leaders around here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, man, you come on, 12 weeks in a row, you can't. Hang, you go back to the beginning. Finally, man, one of my key business guys said, man, this is a hurdle. You know, I'm like as committed to you as I could be. I mean, like I'm your brother, and this is a hurdle to get through these 12 weeks. And I mean, it's good stuff, but it's 12 weeks. It's like, man, you're right. You know, think about some of the hurdles that you have in place that maybe you, you know, maybe they're old school. Maybe they're from... The old wine skin. And, you know, you're making it real hard on people to just connect in to get ownership of the church. Like, you know, you know, we just don't give anybody a microphone. Come up and just stand and be on the worship team. But pretty much anybody could help park cars. You don't have to have, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to know anything. Except can you smile and kind of direct people and welcome people when they get out of their cars. You know, and I always joke with people, I'm sure that we have, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some of the people that are serving in our church have some real big things going, issues in their life. They're not perfect. They, they got bad stuff going on at home. I'm sure some of them are cheating on their taxes. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to guess that some of them are have a porno, problem with pornography. I'm just going to guess. And I could go down a list of things. So we don't expect perfection from people that serve, you know. And there are different levels of serving, you know. So, so you know, but let's not make it so hard for people to connect in, to, to take ownership of the vision. Everybody tracking with me on that? Draw people. Man, Jesus did this. I mean, Judas, goodness gracious. Judas betrayed him. Had a devil, the Bible says. He had demons, and he was with Jesus around the table. 
So, remove those barriers to serving in the church. Build, here's, a next, here's another one. Build a culture of hospitality. I think this is an absolute in church. Your environment needs, it needs to be full of life and fun and, and embracing of different kind of people. I mean, we could talk about this a lot. Friendly, the word hospitality means friendly. It means fond of guests. I think your host team is the most important team because they interact with people and have 15, 10 minutes with people before anyone hears the music or hears the preaching. And there's that statistic that people decide within the first 10 minutes whether they're coming back to church or not. So they're basing that on the friendliness of the, of the people that greet them and, the, and their ability to kind of give some information about kids and where to sit. And so it's, it's that hosting. It's that gift of hosting. I love walking in this morning and someone greeted me and someone welcomed me and they shook my hand. And even though I could see down the hall where everybody was congregating, they said, right down here, you know, just join the others right down here. I mean, just that one minute this morning, I felt, I, you know what I felt like? I felt like this is going to be a good morning. You know, there's some organization. There's some, you know, there's a welcome. Everybody tracking with me? And so just that culture of, of hospitality. I always tell pastors, if I was going in to take over a church, the first team I would work on would be that host team. I would get in there and pull them all together. I'd do training. I'd get them to my house. I'd talk to them about how to shake hands, how to look somebody in the eye, how to smile, how to say, uh, you, you know, right over here, let me show you, rather than, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, just show you down there somewhere. Uh, this one's, I think, is real important. Uh, lighten up. Lighten up. Please lighten up. Don't take yourself too seriously. Relax. I think too many pastors are leading angry. They've got angry leadership. And there's an edge about them because they're, they're, they're dealing with their own frustrations and church isn't where they want it to be. And so they're just kind of edgy and they're just kind of angry. And it's like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. People feel it. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I think our church started growing when it did is because I just said, I'm, I'm just going to relax. Man, I'm taking this way too seriously, and I'm too uptight and edgy. I'm preaching uptight. I'm leading uptight. I'm making announcements uptight. Our membership classes, 12 weeks is way too uptight. Everything about what we were doing was so uptight. You know, David wanted to build the house, but God didn't let him because he was a man of war. And God said, I'm going to let Solomon build the house because he's a man of peace. He's a man of rest. Men of rest build the house. And you're not at war with the people. You're not, they're not your problem. Goodness gracious, they keep coming back. I mean, they're sticking with you even though you're angry and on edge. Right, so don't blame it on them. It's not the people's fault the church isn't growing. You know? You just got to relax a little bit and, and don't take yourself so seriously. Don't preach so angry. Um, so I do this little research every year. You've probably heard me talk about this. Why people stop going to church, why people drop out of church. The number of 
unchurched, dechurched people, the number of people that were a part of a church but dropped out is just is growing. It's growing like crazy. And um, so there's this study that's done every year. There's several studies that are done every year. Why? So if Scott stopped going to church, somebody would, you know, why did you stop Why'd you stop going? They do this poll and do this research. And so there's two, there's two reasons. There's two top reasons. There's several secondary reasons. But there's two top reasons people stop going to church. Number one, because church is boring and irrelevant. It doesn't connect to my daily life. So the sermons are boring. The music's boring. It's just boring. My kids are bored. I'm bored. And then the second reason is because churches, because people are mean, critical, and judgmental. So they're coming to church, and they're just, you know, they're being preached at, you know. And so I think we can turn both of those in the culture of your church. First of all, church should never be boring. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so a part of the life giving church is that you yourself as the pastor are full of life, right? I mean, look, like, look at my face. Doesn't that look better than some people, man, just like their face is like all serious and, you know, their face is down and, and then the lighting's kind of off so there's, so this, their face looks twice as long as it it's just like these deep shadows. And then body language. It all just communicates, man, just depressed and discouraged and, and down. Who wants to go to that? You know, who wants to go be a part of that? I don't. And so it shouldn't be boring. And it de- we definitely shouldn't be mean and critical and judgmental. So lighten up. Lighten up. I always say this, and man, I know some pastors struggle with it, really struggle with this because it's like, and I grew up in a church where it was all about how hard the preaching was. I mean, we didn't feel like we were in, we had gone to church unless we were punched a couple times in the gut and, and just like rebuked and just hard. I mean, we left and got in the car and we're like, God, that was so good. It was so hard. Oh. I need to do better. <laughs> you know, and, 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 just like, and just like a heaviness. You know what I'm saying? Like heavy, man. The heavy, the power of God, the presence of God. Wouldn't we say this? Some of you still say it. Wouldn't we say it? The, man, it was, the presence of God was so heavy. Heavy. And it's like, that's like a, that's like a, that's like a a compliment. Man, it was heavy. But, you know, but I think for the average person, man, they can't, their life is so heavy. You know, when when somebody invites me to come over and move, man, I, you know what I do? I check out the heavy furniture. Like, I'm like, wow, this is going to take a long time. Or I'm going to stay over on this side where the lighter furniture is. Let the big. Young boys take the the heavy. Nobody really heavy. Man, it just doesn't help people. I mean, the the, the Bible's you know it's it's a heavy and the glory. And somebody's I know somebody's gonna say, well, the, the glory, the glory 
Glory means heavy. Yeah, it's the glory of God. It's not the, the glory of John. It's not my heavy. It's not me making it heavy. You know, it's, and, so, and so, so Jesus said this, and this is, it, this is bottom line to me. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, man, that sounds good. God, that sounds good to me. For my, help me finish this passage. For my yoke is, okay, easy, easy, stop. Easy, 12-week membership class. <laughs> Two-hour service. How do I find the restrooms? Make it easy. Where do I, where do I park? Make it easy. I mean, my yoke is easy as opposed to hard. It'll be hard to serve God. Narrow is the way. And few are those who find it. Some people rejoice they didn't have any salvation. See, nobody was ready to give their life to Jesus today because it's narrow. That means I'm preaching. They tell their young, that means I'm preaching. You hear me? Make it hard. My yoke is easy and my burden is, okay, so here's Jesus. Jesus is easy and light. Light as opposed to heavy. Easy, easy. And we're in staff meetings, this is what we say. If somebody starts getting a little edgy, easy, easy, easy. Your voice, you start to get your voice is starting Come on, poke your never tell them to lighten up. Just take it, lighten up, man. Don't take yourself so seriously. Come on. Eleven o'clock. What time am I supposed to be doing? How about embrace diversity? Embrace diversity. By the middle of the 21st century, okay, 30 years from now, the U.S. will not have one single major racial or ethnic group. 30 years from now, there will not be one dominant race in the United States. You need to write in your notes, the face of America is changing. So there's this interesting study that was released. It was called the American Church in Crisis. Comprehensive study of 200,000 churches and identified three major global shifts that will affect the church in the 21st century. One is the shift from modern to postmodern. Two, the shift from Christian to post-Christian. Okay, meaning, meaning, it's not just enough to say the Bible says. Half the people in your church were like, so what? That doesn't give you authority anymore in people's lives. Now, it will in the Christians that are in your church, that have been in your church forever and generations and things like that, but reaching into a culture. And then the third major shift is the shift from the homogeneous church to the multi-ethnic church. And so, you know, 
I talk about this one all the time, and people say, well, that's kind of your thing. I've had people say, well, that diversity, that's kind of multi, that's kind of your thing. It's really not my thing. It's more of should be our thing. Should be, should be that we build a church that reflects the community that we're in. So if the, if the community that we're in is 90% Caucasian, 5% black, 5% other, that should be what your church looks like on Sunday morning, I, I think. And so, so churches that embrace diversity are the churches that are going to be the big. You think, about, you think about some of the largest churches in the United States today. The top three, four are all very multi-ethnic churches. The big ones. I'm talking about the big, big ones. So embrace diversity. Don't hide back in your, you know, your comfortable office and your comfortable, you know, get out there in the community and go to Walmart and walk around, see how diverse your, your city is, and pray for that for your church. It's going to make things spicy, I promise you. It's going to make things challenging, and it's going to keep you on your toes, but it'll keep you from getting uncomfortable, and you will build a relevant church that will then have a door wide open to your whole your whole community. I mean, is it the recent Time magazine that has the whole, all the uh, Hispanics that hold? Is it the very latest Time magazine? I think it might be. Huh? Yeah, the Latino Reformation. You need to go get a copy of that Time magazine, and you need to read through that. I mean, you know, the dominant, if, if there is going to be a dominant race in the next 30 to 40 years in the United States, it's going to be Hispanic. You know, you need to, you need to have some in your church. You need to have somebody popping up on stage, greeting everybody in Spanish. Freak everybody out. And the next weekend, there'll be a couple more Latino families in your church. You know? I try to do it, and I made, man, I, I got it one year and made this promise that I was going to learn to preach in Spanish. That was the dumbest decision I ever made. I don't have time to learn to preach in Spanish. But I, I will say, hola. And I will do my points, uno, dos, trace. More because I'm joking around and having fun, but embrace diversity and keep it spicy. And um, Can I say this one too? Focus on, I don't know what number, I'm jumping all over my notes. Focus on reaching versus keeping would be the next one. This one you have to constantly remind yourself of. Don't chase people and run people down. If they want to leave, let them leave. If they want to leave, let them leave. I don't know. I don't think there's any one of us in this room that have had people that left our church that we, you know, that did, it didn't hurt. It's going to hurt. And you're going to sit down with them. They're, I'm not saying you don't sit down with someone and say, hey, just talk to me a little bit before you roll. Can I, can I, apologize for anything I've done? Is there anything that I can do to help you leave the right way? Uh, is there any insight that you can give me? You know, I'm not saying don't do those kind of things, but you're going to have to let people go. They're not your people. They're God's people. And God needs to move some people out so he can move other people in. And we hold on so tight, don't we? We hold on so tight sometimes that we're praying. You're on your knees begging God for your church to grow. And God's got this whole group of people that he wants to bring in and this whole new surge. But, but there are some people 
that are in your church that need to go so those new people can come in. Because they don't meet, they won't co-mingle. <laughs> it won't be good for the new people if those people are still around. So let them go. Let them go. I'm not saying don't have a funeral. I'm not saying don't mourn. But don't mourn long. I mean, have you a day of, 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 of mourning and then get back up and say, okay, there's plenty of people in this community. There's plenty of people in this city. And if you get so focused on keeping people, you, you will compromise what God has put in your heart. You'll change what you feel like is right to reach a whole new group of people. You'll, you'll alter the plan just to keep this couple, just to keep this family. Man, you'll go backward instead of forward. Because some, I mean, some, of those, uh, some of those people will hold you back from what God has for you and for the church. And so focus on reaching versus keeping. I always say it this way. If you're focused on keeping, it'll be hard to reach. But if you're focused on reaching, it'll be easy to keep. Does that make sense? If you're focused on reaching people, then the people that are genuinely with you are like, let's go. Let's do this. They want to reach people. But if you're just focused on keeping everybody happy, it's going to be hard to reach. Not, not hard, but probably impossible. And then I'll just finish with this, some thoughts about change. Make change your best friend. Make change your best friend. If you want to build a growing church, buckle up. Buckle up. If you want to grow a church, buckle up because things will change. So, so, so let me just talk about managing change well for a few minutes. Okay, you ready? Just a couple, one or two, three, four things on managing change. Then I'll be done, Scott, and we can do whatever we want to do. Here's a, here's a thought. Make change your best friend. Here's what you're going to have to do. Embrace, write these two words down, please. Embrace ambiguity. Okay, so here's what ambiguity is. It, it, it means uncertain and unclear. Ambiguity means it's fuzzy. It's fuzzy. Embrace it. Get used to it. Come on, poke your neighbor. Tell him embrace it. Get used to it. Things will not always be clear. Things won't always be clear. People ask me all the time, how are we going to do that? I don't know. When is this going to happen? I wish I knew. Who's going to take care of that? I'm not sure yet. Is, is that the new way we're going to do that? Or are we going to do it this way now or, or that way? Or are we going to, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, let me tell you, I know, <laughs> this is not very encouraging, but I know less about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, then I know more. Does that make sense? There's more questions I have about the future. and what I know what I want to do. I know what we're reaching for. I know what we're trying to do. I'm not sure A, B, C, D, E. And it might even be, in, it, might, it might not be A, B, it might be one, two, three. I mean, it's just, I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. And you know what? A few years back, several years back, I kind of got over the idea that I had to have all the answers. I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on, on myself with our staff, 
with our church. I don't act like I know everything and how we're going to do everything. I don't know. I don't know. I do know where I want to go. This is where we're going. But I don't know exactly how it's going to all work out. I don't know. I don't know. I wish I could tell you. If I could tell you, I'd be God, right? I mean, I, if I could tell you, I, didn't, I wouldn't need you. I wouldn't need you if I could tell you everything. I need you to help me understand how we're going to. And so this is hard for a lot of people. Have y'all, y'all do the disc, you know, that y'all do that thing? D-I-S-C. So the S is steady, unchanging. You know, what is it? It's like 70%. 70%, the average, you know, in your church, 7 out of 10 people are S's, steady. They don't like when you change service times. They don't like when you add services, take services away, add campuses. They don't like all that change. It makes them feel, ah, unsteady. So you got to try to figure out how to, <laughs> how to help them, how to make it easier. Uh, so embrace, you gotta em- if you're going to manage change, if you're going to manage a growing church, embrace the unknown. Manage ambiguity. Can I just tell you, the days of the five-year plan are over. They're over. It's 18 months. It's short-term. You you get up and say, this is what we're going to be doing five years from now. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. And if you know what you're going to be doing five years from now, that means you're, you're thinking through a real small So embrace ambiguity. I'm talking about change now. Be flexible. Here's another thought about change. Be flexible. Blessed are the flexible, for they will bend but not break. Hold on to things, processes, plans, people loosely, and be willing to let go. The way you're doing it now might not be the way you're going to do it next year. The flying trapeze artist has to let go of one handle before he can grab the next one. And in between... He's flying through the air. (laughs) That's the essence of what we do. Remember the goal is more important than the role. You know, when I, I'll just tell you a little story, then I'll finish two stories maybe. Um, When I moved to, I was a missionary in Nairobi for, three years before I started the church in, in Memphis. And um, to make a long story short, the man that I went to work for is my pastor, and I had known him since the church started. In 1988, he started the church, and I think I moved there in 93. Okay, everybody tracking with me? So I'd gone on a couple of short-term trips. In fact, I went, on, I, went, I went for a summer. That's how I knew I was called to go help him. I went for a summer when the church was only one year old. And Pastor Don... That's my pastor. Pastor Don and I did everything together for that summer. I rode with him. We went down and checked the mailbox, checked the mail. I drove around. I set up all the equipment. He did this. and You know, it was like me and him. We're like a team. Four years later, when I moved back, the church was totally different. Okay, so there was a staff of people. And, you know, it was, it was a little weird for me because I was, it was me and Pastor Don, man. We, we did everything. I checked the mail. I mean, I, but now, now it was like I was, they kind of had me like in an office over here, and Pastor Don was way over there, and it was a, it was it was odd. 
I felt disconnected. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and it was a great le- lesson that I have used over and over again. And it, and it was this. It was, are you going to, are you going to do, are, are you going to kind of do what you need? Or are you going to kind of, you know, are you going to kind of take on, reinvent yourself and take on what Pastor Don needs for you in this season? So I kind of had to make a decision to humble myself and to re, you know, re kind of re, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, revisit what role I played, uh, repurpose myself. Everybody tracking with me? And I had to make a change, you know, to, to, to a role that was, that was more important in that season so that the goal, the big goal, could be achieved. And so, so the big goal is more important than the role that you play. We've got a young guy on our staff that is, uh, his name is BJ, great young, great young guy who is over all of our next gen. He's one of our, he's one of our executive team and um, so he moved to be a part of the church, and he had a real passion for youth. I mean, great at it, too. Well, we went through some transitions, and, I mean, I needed a, I needed a children's pastor. I needed somebody that could take the children. Well, I knew, you know, we went through, B- BJ was, I mean, he could have, we had him on a few lists of things that he could do because of his skill set, because of his passion. And I knew it might not be an easy I mean, it might not be an easy step. You, get a, you know, you came to be a part of the youth. The youth is blowing up, but we needed a, we needed a children's pastor. And so, so uh, Dan Lord, who's here with me, who is one of my executive pastors, sat down with BJ and said, man, we're moving you over to kids. And I know I've talked to BJ about it later. We've laughed about it later. It wasn't an easy. It's kids, you know, like, wow, kids. Okay, kids. Kids. And, uh, and we didn't say, we want you to pray about this. <laughs> we said, we have prayed about this. And we know God has shown us your future. <laughs> so, but you know what? He made that transition beautifully. Now, guess what? Now he's over all next gen. He's over kids all the way through, through college. You know, now he's, he's grown in his capacity and his leadership and has tons more responsibility but he said yes. He said yes. Because the goal is more important than the role. And the role that you play right now, you may love it, but you may, may have to go through some transitions because there's a bigger goal. And even as senior pastors, some transitions in how you spend your time and what you do, there are things that I've had to let go of and delegate that I love to do. But to continue to do them, would be detrimental to the, the health and the growth of the church. Well, I don't, I didn't like letting go, and it, 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 but I, I, you know, and I, listen, I had, I could have held on to him, right? I'm the boss. I could have, I could have held on to him, but I, I had to, because the goal is more important than the role, and people making decisions that I would have, I'd rather be the one to keep making those decisions, but I can't make every decision. Everybody, everybody tracking with me, and so that managing change, God, it's mega for churches that are, for churches that are growing. You know, there's a, there's a, our kind of churches, Scott, 
are opportunity-oriented churches. Didn't you have a couple new campuses that you've added in the last couple of years that have come as a result of they came to you and knocked on your door? You weren't praying about going to wherever it was. And, and so, but you've had to make some changes and you've had to say yes to those opportunities. And so you, could, you can't be stuck in one direction so that when an opportunity comes from this side, everybody tracking with me? You're ready, to, you're ready to make a change and embrace and become bigger. You have to live kind of that opportunity-oriented mindset. That's the only way to do that is you, just, you always are ready for change and, 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 and whatever comes. And so, man, let's build some great churches. We, listen, we, we, I know some of you are concerned about the world we're living in. I mean, there, there, are, there are things to be concerned about. That's why we've got to build great churches We've got to build churches that are engaging the culture of our community, that are preaching the truth, that are loving people and meeting needs. We can't, we, we can't afford to build weak churches that are just anemic and off to the side somewhere and nobody knows about them. Man, we need to be out there in the middle of everything and everybody. They may not like us, but they know about us because we're in the middle of everything that's going on. We can't afford can't afford to to build something that's ineffective it's you know it's the church it's the church of Jesus so thank you for letting me come Scott thank you for letting me be a part of today So rich, so good. And you know, uh, 